0: I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the gospel according to Luke, and we are joined by our Florida director, David Wooten. David will walk us through Luke chapter 9, verses 37, seven through fifty.
1: Thank you, Herbie. It is good to be on the Defender Podcast and to continue our study through the Gospel of Luke today. We are in Luke chapter nine, verses thirty-seven through fifty. And really in particular I want to focus on verses forty six through fifty. So the last five verses of this passage, Luke chapter nine, verses forty six through fifty. This is what the Gospel of Luke says. Then an argument started among them, that is, among the disciples, about who would be the greatest of them. Can't you just imagine that? Can't you just hear them talking about who would be the greatest? Would it be Peter, John, somebody else? But Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, took a little child and had him stand next to him. And he told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. For whoever is least among you, this one is great. John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told them, because whoever is not against you is for you. Here's a passage where Jesus is discipling his his followers, to learn to be servant leaders, to learn to have humility. One of the marks of an effective leader, especially in kingdom work, is the mark of humility. The Bible hates pride, and yet pride is the very essence of who we are as fallen human beings somebody has said that pride is the devil's sin because in Isaiah 14 when Lucifer the star of the morning fell and became Satan the prince of the power of the air the sin uh, upon which he fell was the sin of pride not only that but we also see in the garden of Eden that the serpent tempted Eve with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life the serpent said to her you won't die the day you eat of this fruit in fact you'll be just like God and so he appealed to uh, her pride and, of course, John, as we mentioned in his epistle, wrote of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And even Jesus' temptation by Satan in the wilderness was a temptation to uh, be proud, to have everyone bow down and worship him in a timing that wasn't the Father's timing but was Satan's timing. And so we have this pride which is self-centered, replacing god with ourselves and unless our pride is crushed by the work of the holy spirit's conviction in our lives that would lead us to repentance we cannot be saved so salvation is the the glorious conquering of our pride Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That was the very first beatitude that he gave in the very first sermon that he preached. Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, not blessed are those who are poor financially or economically, but blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who are spiritually bankrupt, those who understand there is nothing that they bring to the table that earns God's favor or uh, impresses God to the point where he would want to save them. Salvation is totally by grace, not because of anything that we are, can do, have, or can bring to the table. And so we are saved when our pride is crushed by the convicting work of the Spirit. We recognize our spiritual bankruptcy, and we depend upon the mercy and grace of God for our salvation. And yet... Those of us who are Christ followers know that our pride was not eradicated when we got saved. It's still there. We still have a sin nature. And our sin nature pushes our pride to center stage, wanting the spotlight, seeking the headlines, wanting to be noticed, wanting to be applauded. And really, the whole process of sanctification and growing in the Lord is the process of conquering and removing our pride. And I don't know about you, but I can say that for my heart, pride dies hard. (laughs) This is a battle that is ongoing, and it's a continual fight uh, to see my pride vanquished. God uses in my life things like trials, suffering, suffering. To replace my pride with humility. And that's what Jesus is teaching his disciples here in this passage. Teaching us to be humble, teaching us to, to live and to operate and to function with humility. So think with me for a minute about, first of all, about what humility is not, and then think about what humility is. Humility is not thinking poorly of ourselves. You know, just some kind of sad sack. Eeyore kind of, woe is me, I can't do anything, I'm nothing. That's almost like a, like a psychological trick to, uh, th- that's really rooted in pride. If I, if I tell folks that I'm nothing and can do nothing, then maybe they'll flatter me, maybe they'll compliment me, and maybe they'll stroke my pride if I think poorly of myself. But humility is not thinking poorly of yourself. Humility is just not thinking of yourself. Humility is living a life that is focused on the glory of God and the needs of others so that self is not a primary focus. The Bible says a lot about humility, that God blesses humility. God uses humility. God instructs the humble. He exalts the humble. He gives grace to the humble. And here in this passage, we see Jesus addressing this with his disciples. We see the same episode in Matthew chapter 18 – verses 1 through 9, and Mark chapter 9, verses 33 and 341, and we find out from those accounts that this conversation is happening in a home in Capernaum, and the disciples on the way to that home were kind of arguing under their breath. So when they get into the house, Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about out there? And Matthew says nobody wanted to answer him because they'd been arguing about who was going to be greatest nobody wanted to admit that to jesus but of course jesus already knew what was in their heart and what was on their lips and so he addresses their selfish ambition their seeking of rank and their competitive spirit which is so true to our culture today and even in the church today uh, that he had to point out that these disciples were more interested in their crown than in the cross And so he addresses this, even this is going to be an ongoing conversation that the disciples are going to continue to have, even all the way into the upper room, the night that Jesus was betrayed before his crucifixion. Several things that we need to notice about pride and why humility is so important. One is pride ruins unity by destroying relationships. Pride makes me critical. It makes me judgmental. It hurts relationships. And it destroys unity in an organization, whether it's a family or a church or a ministry like, like uh, uh, Lifeline and other ministries. When pride rears its ugly head, it typically ruins the unity of that group. Also, pride generates an unhealthy competition where we are seeking to outrank and outflank others – we live in a world that is obsessed with titles and rank and pecking order and position. Uh, and pride seeks those things. Humility does not. Humility is others focused. This verse in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 47, says Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts, that's what pride does. Pride reveals the sinfulness of our hearts. Somebody has said that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. <laughs> Our hearts are self-exalting. And so Jesus in this home in Capernaum takes a young child who's there in the home, a child that's big enough to stand and small enough to hold, and uh, sets this child in the room next to him. Now, he does that not because children are cute. He does it because children were the lowest-ranking member of society of that day. They had no contribution to make to society. They had no accomplishment or achievement at their young age. Children didn't give. They only took. They don't have any credentials. They don't have any resume. They don't have anything to bring to the table. And Jesus is saying, unless you come like this, not trying to impress God, but realizing there's nothing you can bring to the table of your salvation, unless you operate with this kind of humility, then all the consequences of pride are going to come into your life. Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me, Jesus said, for whoever is least among you is the greatest. And then notice what John said. John, listening to Jesus, being convicted about something they had just done, said, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Uh, Jesus is pointing out that there can be not only individual pride, but there can be organizational pride. And Jesus says, don't stop him from driving out demons, because whoever is not against you is for you. If there's another church in your town, or if there's another organization That names the name of Christ and preaches the truth, they're not your rival. They're with us, they're for us, they're part of the kingdom work. And so God calls us to live lives of humility. One of the ways that you can tell whether you are operating in humility or not is this Are you grateful? And do you express that thanksgiving to others? Are you grateful? The person that is filled with pride and arrogance feels entitled to every good kindness and every favor that comes his way. He feels like he deserves it. He feels like he's entitled to it. But the humble person is thankful because they realize that they receive good gifts and they receive favor from others and kindness, uh, expressions of kindness, not because they deserve it, but in spite of the fact that they don't. And so that gives them a heart of gratitude. So, who can you show gratitude today? How does God want you to demonstrate a humble spirit today? Let's be humble Christ followers as we seek to live for Jesus today.
0: Thanks, David. Well, this week we are also praying for the country of Ethiopia. And as we pray for Ethiopia, would you pray for the country as they are reevaluating adoption laws and and inter-country adoption. As, as many may know, that the Ethiopian government has completely suspended adoption at this time. And so we're praying that this country would reevaluate those children. And we know for a fact that children are going and being crammed into government-run orphanages. Will we pray for the Ethiopian government to find an ethical solution for the children in need of care. And pray for the Ethiopian government to find uh, 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 the, the opportunities for organizations to continue to partner on behalf of the unadopted, on behalf of the orphans, the, the many myriad of orphans that are still in Ethiopia. Pray for the Department of State's commitment to continued conversations with the Ethiopian government to potentially see a, a reopening of adoption in Ethiopia. Pray for patience and peace during adopted families wait under their new agencies and, and as many families have, have had to transition because agencies have gone out of business or agencies have closed and a specific at Lifeline. We know of two agencies that we've worked closely with that, that have had to go out of business because they no longer could could help with Ethiopian adoptions. And so uh, specifically we pray for America World Adoption Agency and Adoption Associate Adoption Advocates. Those are two organizations who have been willing to take over these families' cases and help families who were matched with children. And so we pray for those organizations. are grateful for them in standing in the gap with their Ethiopia programs. Pray for adopted parents' heart to be bent to continue to seek out education and preparation for for adoptive parenting to continue to look for ways to be prepared for these children. Pray for good relationships and and trust between adopted families and these new agencies, and uh, especially as they uh, continue potentially with an agency they didn't start with. And then pray for cooperation and easy transition and and good communication for all the children that are being transferred from orphanages to government-run orphanages or as orphanages shut down around Ethiopia. There truly is an orphan crisis today in Ethiopia, and we want to pray on behalf of the fatherless. So let's pray. Lord, we ask you that you would reign over the situations in the country of Ethiopia. We pray that you would be, like your word says, the defender of the fatherless, that you would plead the case of the orphan and the widow. And Father, that you would make a way for these children to find hope in the gospel of Christ Jesus. We pray that the church in Ethiopia would rise up and and wrap around uh, children. We thank you for our partnership with McLean Bible Church and the way that we've been able to see uh, McLean and, and her people go to Ethiopia and care for and equip a local church to care for orphans in their midst. And Lord, we pray that you would make a way for children to have a home, to have a hope and have a future. And we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the country of Ethiopia and we're thankful for the things that are going on. And we pray for the gospel to be made rich throughout the entire country and that region, the Horn of Africa, as Ethiopia is a place where the gospel could be exported to Somalia and Eritrea and Djibouti and, and, and the rest of the Horn of Africa, that the gospel would go forth and be made known.